Maggie Beatty Roberts. And I'm Kate Roberts. And we're really excited about today's episode. But just a quick note before we start. This season of Beyond the Letters was recorded before the coronavirus reached the United States and impacted so many areas of our lives, including education. Today's episode contains some pre-coronavirus thinking that can still be effective in your educational spaces. We should also note it was recorded before the protests that have thankfully changed so much of our national dialogue on race. We strive to check our privilege during these conversations, and we are in constant motion to become better allies. Here at Beyond the Letters, Black Lives Matter. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Welcome to Beyond the Letters. I am Kate Roberts. And I'm Maggie Beatty Roberts. And we are joined today by the fantastic, wonderful Jen Saravalo. Jen is a consultant, guest teacher, and author of incredibly helpful and popular books for teachers. And uh, in this capacity, Jen has worked in schools all across the country to help educators and districts strive towards more effective and transformative literacy practices. And when we were thinking about season two, we wanted to try to talk to Jen because we know that Jen brings to the table a kind of bird's eye view on the way that so many different districts, schools, states, cities, sort of tackle issues of inclusivity, um, particularly around LGBTQ plus kids. So we are so happy to have Jen here. Hi, Jen. Hello. It's so great to talk with you. I'm a big fan of the show and I'm so glad that you're doing it. Us too. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really know where to start. I'm, I think in addition to you know, just your wide bird's eye view of all the districts. The other thing that I think we all think about when we think about you and the work that you offer us as teachers is just your uncanny ability to take your knowledge and offer it up in ways that are practical and powerful and easy to implement. So to think that you know, having that angle on this topic gives me nerd goosebumps. Yes. Like I have goosebumps all over right now. You know, and I, I want to, I want to dive right into that. But part of me wants to just know a little bit about your story. If there, I don't know, was there like a critical moment that you know? I'd like to start just by giving you an opportunity to share if there was, oh, I don't like a critical moment or a part of your history that may have sparked uh, a drive to, I don't know, be more of an advocate uh, uh, for uh, the queer community. Um, I don't know, what comes to your mind? It's funny because I think I'm not great at this. So it's <laughs> funny to me that, you know, I do think of myself as someone who's who is able to break down complex concepts around literacy instruction and make them very mm -hmm. practical. And I know that when you invited me, I was like, I don't know if I have anything to offer, but we'll have the conversation and we'll see how it goes. Um, and I think the reason I feel that way is that I was very much, I would consider myself an advocate in college, where it was sort of easy to be an advocate at Vassar. You know, <laughs> there's like a lot of queer people and it's sort of easy to join in established groups and kind of do, you know, do what they were doing. And then I left college and became a teacher right away. I had my own class in various schools in New York City, and I really was very in the closet um, mm -hmm. with my students. It was, you know, I think a somewhat conservative 
both schools had kind of conservative parent bodies. I think I was afraid. I had a very um, inconsistent leadership. Like some years I would, that my school would go through three different principals. So I felt like I really have the backing from a principal. I didn't have tenure, right? I'm a new teacher. I just want this job. So I just sort of, all I did, all I remember doing to address it is when some kid used the word gay as a slur, had a class meeting about it. Like that was the extent of, I don't even think you can call that advocacy. That's like barely a bandaid. That's like a bandaid of a gashing wound, right? So, so I like, I think of, I was like a complete failure as a classroom teacher around this regard. And then as you know, I get a job at the Reading and Writing Project and we're out in the world at all these different schools really doing work around literacy. And I was very focused on, you know, how to do a strategy group and what a good conference looks like and how to do a fairy tale unit in the fourth grade. And like, that was really the focus. And it did not really creep into my uh, work as a consultant then either. And I have two kids. And a couple of years ago, my oldest daughter, so she was, you know, probably like, or maybe it was more than a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, like second grader at the time, came home one day and said, mom, you're not going to believe it. I found a book in our school library where the family is just like us. Wow. And I said, really, I've got to see this book. And it was Patricia Polacco's In Our Mother's House. Now the family is nothing like us. <laughs> <laughs> I know that book. Yes. <laughs> right. It's like a mixed race couple. All the kids I think are adopted. Like that is not our story. But she saw two mothers. And this was the first time she'd even seen representation like that in a book. Here I am a literacy person in my own house. You can see my bookshelves. I've got millions of books in my house. Yeah. How did I not make books available to my own children, right? Yeah. Where they had that representation. And I saw what power it had for her to see herself in that book. And she made us read it over and over and over again to her. And um, so I really like that moment really changed how the books in my own house look, right? I really went and sought out more books that represent our family. And I also, with that story in mind, began to speak up to schools about representation. You know, and it's funny because I had, or maybe not funny, but <laughs> something, um, <laughs> I had been doing this work around uh, race, right? Like I had been talking to schools about like, you've got to have right. books that represent, you know, that where your kids can see themselves and redeem Sims Bishop work and all, mm -hmm. like I've been doing that. Mm -hmm. But when it came to LGBTQ stuff, I hadn't. And perhaps it's just partly like my own, you know, I think we all have a little internalized homophobia or just fear or yeah. like this feeling of like, that's not what I'm here for. Like I, you know, they didn't hire me to talk about that. I, you know, I, I feel guilty bringing in my own agenda when there's when there's other things like that the kids need to learn how to read. And that is why I'm here. That's my primary okay. reason. But it's I'm, I'm coming to be more courageous, I think. And I'm coming to learn that it's really not a different topic. And that if we don't have if we don't have kids who can see themselves in the books in the classroom and in the school library or if they feel unwanted or unseen just as a person, then of course, how can they learn, right? How can they learn to read or write or do any of the other millions of things that we want them to do? So I think that that I, you know, owe that to my daughter um, to, you know, what she did to really just through her own joy and own excitement and seeing that that one book really changed a lot in how I think about representation and belonging and the role of 
um, supporting LGBTQ kids and kids who have LGBTQ family members yeah. um, in all schools. So I think about, um, you know, uh, there's a lot out there about what teachers can do differently in their classrooms. Um, and there's a Facebook group that Maggie and I were a part of for a while of LGBTQ teachers mm -hmm. talking about their experiences and like the experience of teachers is so different, right? I mean, that's the no dust statement of the podcast, but specifically there isn't safety around being queer in the classroom, speaking up about queer issues in the classroom in a lot of places, right? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to know, like in my school, I wasn't out, although many kids suspected due to my short haircut and natural style. <laughs> they, had, they had a few clues, <laughs> but I never said it out loud. And like, part of it is that, you know, I really didn't know how my administration was gonna support me or not. And mm -hmm. I have the same principle but there was a sense of, I am vulnerable in this. And that requires an extra amount of courage and ability to sort of push through that and say, mm -hmm. I, I don't care, I'm gonna do it anyway, which I think mm -hmm. is a lot to ask of a new teacher, certainly, and even mm -hmm. a lot of vets. I mean, as a new teacher, you're just barely like, did I put this, the right shoes on this morning? Did I, did I bring the right books to school? Like you're barely surviving sometimes, mm -hmm. um, so I can, I can imagine why I'm like, I just don't even want to go there. It's risky. It's, it makes me vulnerable. I wonder how my kids would see me or if parents would start requesting kids to be removed from my classroom or it's like, you know, so, so well, yeah. Those are realities, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as I think you've experienced, I know we've experienced that when you do start having those conversations, people don't like it sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is reality there too of, you know, it's, easy to kind of say, here's the list of things you should do. Right. It's harder to have the conversation of how do you navigate the pushback, the homophobia that comes our way when, when we do start agitating for change. Mm -hmm. And it feels like in my mind right now, it's, it, it speaks to the importance of allies, um, you know, helping queer folks stabilize the ground in which to then take the risk. Mm -hmm. Right. So it feels like one part, I, I really relate to that part of your story of like, I had to have some sort of stability because by nature, I feel unstable all the time because <laughs> in many ways, my existence uh, is a risk. And so thinking about a school community, you know, creating the stability for kids and teachers to take those risks mm -hmm. feels really important. And, you know, I feel like in the recording of this podcast, I've been thinking about the identities of LGBTQ plus educators and LGBTQ plus uh, and gender nonconforming kids. But yeah, like this third group, right? Kids with LGBTQ families, um, you know, making sure there's a, a real diversity of family structures uh, represented in your classrooms so that kids do have that opportunity to see their family structure reflected back at them. Mm -hmm. Because you're right, how can they learn if they feel unseen? Yeah, and I, also, I can share a couple of uh, things since then. So one is, you know, one of the districts that I was working in, and I had already had, you know, multiple years with this district. They, the people knew me well, we'd built relationships. And I was, I was doing a day where I showed a clip of Rudine Sims Bishop's talking, um, 
I had everybody were in the library, everybody went to a different shelf. And I basically used the, the Lee and Lowe survey of your library to say how many books on the shelf have this characteristic, how many have this characteristic, how many this character. And they were like, so with me on, you know, on gender representation, they were with me on racial representation, like, and then I said, how many of the of the families that you see on the shelf have two moms or two dads. And it was like, <laughs> we can't do that. Yeah. And then they actually, and I had, I had gay teachers sitting in my rooms fighting me on this. Like, you can't do that. Like, this is too conservative. It's a school like 40 minutes from where I live, right? right. It's not even far away. It's not in the deep South. It's like, it's in the Northeast, right? Not too far from where I live. And they're like, we cannot do that. And they had the principal and the superintendent. Once they saw what I was talking about, they came into the room and they were listening. And at lunchtime, they were like, we can't do this. Like, you've got to shut this down. Really? Yeah. What did, like, what did, what did you do in that moment? Well, in that moment, I talked about, I think I used like a lot of the, the Trevor, like statistics. Yeah around uh around suicide rates and depression i talked about how this is children and if you feel like you don't have kids in your school community who don't either identify as gay or will identify as gay or have family members like there is no way that 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 this school community is completely you know isolated from all of that and you're making kids feel left out and making feel kids you know that's kind of where I went was like it's about the children and yeah. about the teachers mm-hmm. you know feeling comfortable being out like we'll get there too but like it's really about the yeah. kids do they feel safe in the school community and are they a part of the school community in that moment they their minds were not turned but I will say um about a year later I, I no longer work with the district but about a year later one of the coaches reached out to me and he's like I just want you to know that that had an impact and things are changing. We're ordering new books. We're, you know, and, and so it's, I think that's another thing to think about is sometimes in the moment you've got this real resistance, but it plants a seed and later, right. Something, something good comes of it. Huh. I wasn't fired from that district, just to be clear. It wasn't like that. It was like a, a typical story of, you know, I've been there for multiple years. They're yeah. switching initiatives to math. Like it had nothing to do with that, but um, but that that seed was planted and something grew from it um, kind of down the road. But there is something there about the slowness of change, mm-hmm. right? And the mm-hmm. ability to like keep the drumbeat going. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's not sort of taking off in the moment or you're not seeing the results right away. Because sometimes people do need to have a weird reaction and then marinate on it for a while, yeah. you know, and like feel it for a while. But the yeah. initial reaction isn't necessarily the truth with some capital T. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it also brings to mind like the idea of just how we help school districts talk to parents and help uh, communicate with parents. You know, I think it gets me, it's the one fact that gets me uh, sort of dark and depressed at times is the idea that in places, there are places where we really are just fighting to say that gay people exist. Mm-hmm. Like that the battle is just to have the the existence of gay people recognized in curriculum. Mm-hmm. And that even that can feel too scary to many places because there is a reality that there are parents who will be very noisy and vocal mm-hmm. in opposition to that. Mm-hmm. And there's got to be more to help parent communities like advocate for what they believe in too. Because there's mm-hmm. in that community, I'm sure there were parents who would voice and be like, I don't like this. 
but you know there's parents in that community that are like right on you know and i wonder sometimes why it's only the the more conservative parents that have the loudest voice in communities like that and how we nurture parents who are like wait 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 no i really want these books in my kids classrooms mm-hmm. and maybe even too to add an overlay to that just how going against a normative perspective of a community right whether you know whatever it is of like this is how it's always been or uh, this is the ingrained culture of our community when you are trying to advance uh, a secondary story right or like a different way that could go going against a normalized version of a story is really difficult Mm -hmm. and um uh, just what needs to be in place in order for that conversation to just even split in a couple directions, mm-hmm. just instead of going down one steady stream all the time. Are there ways that you have found in in your capacity right now as an educator that helps us do more? You know, like I heard you think saying, you know, immediately I went and I started to get lots of books right, uh, for my own home and when I demonstrate. But do you have any tips of for those of us out here that, that want to do more but don't know how or where to start? See, this is where I feel like, no, and I need to have a good answer to this. That's uh, why I'm eagerly listening to your other podcast episodes and there are people who have been so incredible and specific about you go here and you do this and you do this and you do this. Like I'm still in the... You gather books, you make them available, <laughs> you know, you stick to the the award winners that are sort of, you know, unquestionably good examples of children's literature. You mm-hmm. back up like the why with statistics of the impact that not doing this has on kids. And I tell my own story and tell my story of my own children. And I think I've always had this way, I think, as being somebody that you wouldn't, by looking at me, know that I'm queer. So I have always had this way of, people building a relationship with me and getting to know me and liking me. And then it's like, surprise, I'm one of those people that you thought you didn't like, <laughs> you know, and I feel like that, I'm in that position a lot. Uh, uh, so I think sometimes, you know, like I can remember even uh, I was doing a Institute day and I was talking about classroom libraries and curating collections and what kinds of books to be looking for and different kinds of award winning lists to be looking at. And of course I included um, like the Stonewall Awards and things like that. Um, a number of the teachers were uncomfortable. And I was like, you guys have a problem with this? I just want you to know, my my kids have two moms. Did you know that? And they were like calculating what that means. Like, what does that mean, you know? And I think sometimes people are like, oh, once you know the person personally, maybe it's less, I don't know. I mean, I think you name that as a as a small thing, but I think that's a huge thing. Like, I know there's been studies done of like, how do you actually change people's minds, right? If they're fixed in a in a in an idea system like facts don't do it mm-hmm. right like statistics won't change a person's mind necessarily what has has had the biggest impact on change is having a personal connection to somebody mm-hmm. somebody's story storytelling being like here's my experience mm-hmm. with a kind of open-hearted as much as possible vulnerability mm-hmm. you know of like this is who I am and and I'm standing right in front of you right yeah. as opposed to a twitter status update or Mm -hmm. right it's like i think that has huge has huge impact Mm -hmm. and is a real form of activism and so like one of the things like you keep sort of couching yourself is like well i'm not doing this as much as i should etc 
But I know that a, a big part of my activism is just going to places and like being semi-likable and doing work, you know what I mean? Yeah. And making yeah. jokes yeah. and then, hey, you've had a really nice interaction with a lesbian. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what a nice experience for the both of us. You know? and, then, and, then, and I think there is more ground-shaking work that can be done that yeah. I try to do that certainly peers that people we've had on this podcast are doing some of that huge mm. ground-shaking work. Mm-hmm. But there's huge value in that. And I think it's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you. Yeah. Your value in the subtle. I mean, I, I think I also, you know, do little like, again, like little things and then people like slip into my DMs or come up to me quietly after and, and then we have uh, meaningful conversations in more depth about it. Like, you know, I'll post uh, a book list on Facebook or I'll mention a reaction to a lawsuit that's, you know, whatever. And people will then come in my, and they know like, oh, she's somebody I can approach. I just had a, a situation like this with a teacher who had a, a child in her class that she was worried about. And um, she realized she really didn't have good literature in her classroom. And she wanted to change the way she does her read alouds and what books she's offering and make that child feel really welcome and seen. And she thought to come to me. And I, why did she think to come to me about it? Probably partly because I have these, you know, subtle little posts occasionally or like in the start of my workshop that I just debuted this year um, around comprehension I start off by talking about identity work and use Sarah Ahmed's work and identity webs and things like that and I put mine up and I have a rainbow flag on it and even if I don't like call it out like some days I do some days I don't feel like it it's there everyone knows what a rainbow flag is (laughs) and no doubt someone will pull me aside or come up to me and be like that was so courageous of you to put that up there or thank you for doing that and have a conversation with me about something. So maybe there is something to just being visible, but I, I do feel like I need to be doing more and I'm eagerly anticipating more episodes of this podcast so I can yeah. learn learn what else I can be doing. And one thing I just wrote down in my notes, in addition to, I think is an amazing line, which is there is so much value in the subtle, in the subtleties. But just also thinking about you are you are a walking mentor text that Mm -hmm. people like you, like me, like anybody can follow to be a queer or a gender non-conforming educator that may not be able to live out loud with activism or may not exactly have a place to start. But I feel like it's it's just another vision of how to live your story in a way that, you know, that feels like this feels like a comfortable way to live my story today, mm-hmm. right? As an as as an educator that that um, is pretty public, and for me, I mm-hmm. I think that's really empowering. I also love again how you how you couch things again through your kids. You know, mm-hmm. even that line that that was said a couple of minutes ago. Yeah, my kids have two moms. You know, it's just another way to frame, right? Because the other way could go is like my wife and I were, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the grocery store or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and that doesn't surprise me because you anchor so much of your work and existence as a good human being, as what's right mm-hmm. for kids. Mm-hmm. And so exactly. to, to bring that to this mm-hmm. other part of your life um, it just feels so wonderful. Well, and I think, you know, we can't put down the subtle or the beginnings, right? And it's like, we want to have a range of people that we're talking to. Like, imagine if every teacher in America (laughs) 
gathered books that embraced LGBTQ kids, families, existence, and told their own story at some point mentioned their gay relative, their gay friend, their gay colleague, just talked about it. Colleen in the last Mm -hmm. season talked about how if you can normalize and just say things without a lot of like trumpeting, you know, it doesn't have to be, we're going to talk about the gay now, you know, it's like, just like, yeah. So I was with my uncle and his husband. If you can normalize it in a way, I think it has a much greater impact than we want to give it credit for. And that's something that every teacher can do, right? Like I may not be able to change the systems in my school district, but I can get a book on a shelf and I can tell a story. I can mention a person in my life who is queer in some way. And that has a huge impact. I know it does because when I was growing up, that's all we had, right? Was like little crumbs little of things flags, that you would just grab there, onto. Yeah. And yep. obviously I want more for kids today and more for teachers today. But like those those things saved my life. Like it's mm-hmm. not an exaggeration to know that Jodie Foster's existence <laughs> <laughs> and what I intuited about her saved my life <laughs> to know that I wasn't alone. And I just, you know, and again, because because of who you are and 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 the way that that you offer information to to us in the world is is having those stats. I think at mm-hmm. the ready, you know, when you, mm-hmm. you when you were you know quoting some of those places of, you know, you know how many percentages of kids mm-hmm. X Y Z like mm-hmm. having that uh, research uh, of like what happens when we're not right. or what happens when we are like, what are those just, yeah. I think about those like national school climate surveys that we can take mm-hmm. a look at um, or Glisten being a great mm-hmm. resource to just have a couple of stats that, that we can just put out yeah. there as a conversation mm-hmm. starter. All right. Are you ready for, we like to end our podcast with these closing five questions. I don't know if you're ready, Jen. I don't know if I am either, but let's, let's have Adam. Give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> First closing five question is, you have to sort of complete the sentence. Okay. Uh, you'll never see me without my... Um, my hydro flask. <laughs> I have a... Okay, see? 40, a girl. I have a 40 ounce... I love that you know what a visco girl is. My 10-year-old has informed me, and I should say it hydro flasks, although she would roll her eyes at me if she, if she saw me do that. Um, yes, I, I, before the visco girl craze, have carried around a tremendous amount of water at all times. I drink a lot of water. So it, Jen calls it my ball and chain. My partner's Jen. She calls it my ball and chain. Nice. <laughs> Always with me. Yeah. It comes to partnership. More durable than any human partnership. <laughs> That's right. That's in our right. lives. Fantastic. Okay. Um, my favorite article of clothing is? Mm, probably yoga pants. Yes. I'm, if I'm not presenting in front of an audience, I'm in yoga pants. Mm-hmm. Like probably too much. Like I probably shouldn't go to the grocery store in yoga pants, but I do. But you probably, do. I'm like constantly in. Yes. I mean, you should start presenting in them. Just see what happens, you know? Maybe you can do a 24-hour day, 365. <laughs> the closest I got, one time I was flying to, I went to Montana for a presentation and I had like brought a suit and I forgot the pants for the suit yep. and I presented in jeans, which now I do regularly, but back then was <laughs> like as a new staff developer, who do I think I am showing up in jeans? Yoga pants is next level cash though for presenting. I believe in you, Jen. I believe <laughs> Maybe I can pull it off. Okay, uh, my first concert was oh God. <laughs> Paula Abdul. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
straight up so good <laughs> i mean that like places the year certainly oh, right that's a hearted snake yeah yes yep. Did she have the like animated cat in her show in some way? I don't remember the animated cat. I remember that from the video, but not from the show. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my first queer icon was. Mm. See, I came out late. I came out in college. Mm -hmm. And so I want to say Ani DeFranco. <sighs> you know, we just saw her. We just saw her. Oh my gosh. How many times have I seen Ani DeFranco? It never right. gets old. Never. Never. Yeah. Never gets old. Okay. And follow up, my current queer icon is. Um. Hmm, that's a good question. It's okay to say me if that's. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I you know what I'm really inspired by, intrigued by, and entertained by recently is JVN. I've been listening to his interviews. I haven't read his new book, but I just feel like he's really um, courageous in sharing his stories and what's happened to him. And he's an inspiration to a lot of people. And He's just so lovable. How do you not like him, right? Super political at the same time. And political, but yeah, but like in a very non-threatening way. I don't know. It's a good I'm watching him. I'm watching him. Yeah, yeah I'm watching him. Lovely. Yeah. Well, this has been a complete treat. Thank you so much for. Oh, thank us. you. Thanks for having me. I hope this, and um, I'm just so. I'm just. I can't wait to go back and listen. I know. To this. We're gonna go back and listen to it. I hope you got some usable information and for all your kind words throughout. I appreciate it. Beyond the Letters is a production of Heinemann Publishing and the Heinemann Podcast. To learn more about our guest this week, visit blog.heinemann.com. 